Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Bobby, you were born um, in the eastern part of London uh, a few months after the end of World War II. What kind of childhood did you have? Well, um, my dad went blind when he was 22, so in them days, it didn't have the help they got today. And uh, me, me mother died when I was three, TB. Your dad's Francis and your mum's Jessie, yeah. Jessie, she, yeah. She, she died well, of TB, yeah. Yeah, and then my, my dad married um, Phyllis. And um, a bit tough. They were a bit tough them days. We didn't have a lot, so you couldn't go in the fridge and we didn't have had a parlour then, like a room. You used to put a cold room. You couldn't nick a bit of cheese or anything like that. You got smacked around the ear roll. You know, it was all one pint of milk a day, and it wasn't very. It's it was a bad time, really, for did, growing up. How did your dad make ends meet if he was blind? Well, very difficult. He used to grow flowers. He used to grow dahlias, and um, sell the dahlias um, in, when they're bloomed, obviously, and then cuttings. He used to do loads of cuttings for him, and um, I was my dad's eyes when I was young. Um, more or less. He went blind at 22, but he'd done a lot of things for a young man. Like the rotary veil wouldn't work and the gearbox got, so he told me how to strip the gearbox down. So I used to strip the gearbox down and see what was wrong. And I, I used to decorate, he told me how to paint the door properly, um, all things like that. So in, um, in the notes I've got here in front of me, it says that he, he taught you how to kill a rabbit and a turkey. Yeah, I didn't like that. You know, I used to breed New Zealand white rabbits, red eyes had, lovely right. little rabbits. I used to breed them for me, obviously. And I feed them every day. And and then he said, right, kill all that lot. Yeah. Oh, dear. And there's a, well, you don't rabbit punch a rabbit. No. What you see in the films, because you bruise all the meat. So you have to break its neck, hold its legs. And you break its neck like you would a turkey. And I used to hate doing it, hate it. But he said, that's your bread and butter, son. You don't kill it, you don't eat. And we used to keep the skins. And he used to put this, like, it looked like a lot of salt on it. I'd pin them out. I mean, used to get, like, I don't know, sixpence a, a, a pelt. Yeah, for the, yeah. And that for, was my, for the that lining was, of gloves and things like that. that yeah. Used, I think, yeah. Yeah, or they used to make things out of rabbit's fur, like. And um, used to get, like, fivepence. That was my my bunts for looking after the rabbits. Wow. The turkeys that were difficult to kill. You get a 20-odd pound turkey, you have to put it hang up by its legs, hold its wings because it bruises the meat. Someone holds its wing, you have to break its neck. But it's a horrible thing to do when you're yes. a kid. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's quick, it's not cruel, and we have to, you, you have to eat them. That's it. 
you know. <laughs> you, uh, as a child, you liked fishing and running and um, athletics. You were also a good fighter because you were a big boy by the age of 12. It says you were like six foot tall and 14 stone. Um, you went to uh, Newbury Park Junior School. I don't know where that is, yeah, out in, yeah. East, in, the, in yeah. East London. Um, and you had a remarkable person as your headmaster. Yeah, I did, as am. So I Ken Aston. For the people who don't know, Ken was one of the leading football referees in the world. He uh, he, he refereed the cup final. He refereed a very famous and bad-tempered match and won the World Cups, the Battle of Santiago. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, I think, Ken later on in life, he invented the red and yellow card well, system. Well, I asked him that. He, he was at the Greengate traffic lights because if you come out of Premier Farm Road with the scores and you do a left, you come to the Greengate traffic lights, and he had a lot of aggro light. Could he send people off? Should, should you? Um, and he looks at the, the lights. Well, amber, well, yellow. Get ready and uh, red, you have to stop. So if you had a yellow card, that was, uh, you know, a warning. And red, that's it, you're off. Good, and well, he, he was a good man? He was a nice, really, really nice man he was. Um, I kept in touch with him over all them years. Um, he used to buy dailies off me dad as well. Um, he used to... Uh, when I phoned him up, I said, his wife sold our Roberts on the phone. His <laughs> message used to say. And uh, he used to say to me, well, what you've done, he said, Robert, is better than sitting behind a desk a pencil. Talking about the darts, obviously. Yeah, no, no, no oh. right, in the office. Okay. What you're doing, yeah. you're travelling yeah. around the world, yeah, yeah. you're meeting people, you're doing something that you, you like. It's great, he said. You, you've, I wasn't very good at school. Metal work, woodwork, things like that. Is it right know. that your dad wouldn't let you do homework either? No, he wouldn't let me do homework. Why? No, he didn't. I said, come home with homework, and he'd get it, and he'd just screw it. What's he doing? I said, my homework. He said, you've got work to do. If they can't teach you from nine to four, then they can't teach you at all. <laughs> That's what he used to say. And called Ken Aston used to like, your dad's a, a bit of a boy, he used to say. I said, well, that's the way he is. He doesn't like the homework. If they can't teach you that time, then they can't teach you... On your, when you're on your own doing that work. Am I right in saying, Bob, that when you left school at 14 years of age, that you could hardly read and write? I couldn't. I could read yeah. reasonably well, but I can't spell. I'm still the oh, same. Yeah. I don't know why it is. Um, one day I can spell okay. Um, if you wrote a letter, my wife does, Marie, and I'll read it. I said, you left the eye out or you left the it. And she said, I don't know how you do that. I can tell if it's wrong. Yeah. But I can't. It's, it's a horrible thing when you're young because I used to stutter. See? I was going to say, but, but on top of that, do you, for a person who's clearly very erudite now, who's made his living um, and for the last 40 years with, with a bit of chat, yeah. um, you, you left school with a terrible stutter. Terrible. It, it, I, I learned to fight because I stuttered. And they hit me and then I beat them up. It was embarrassing because they put me hand up at school and they didn't want to know because you stuttered. They think if, or if you're deaf, they don't want to, didn't know you in them days. They, the guys that were good, they looked after. Um, but when I was 17, my stutter went just At, overnight. Why do you think? Um, probably, they reckon your brain works quicker than you can talk. So I know what I'm going to say in my head. And then when I come to, like my mum said, go and get um, a pound. We used to have stalk margarine them days, didn't have butter. Right. And I, I never forget, I went in this grocery shop, a hot day it was on my bike. And a little thing on the back used to put the, the shopping on, on your yeah. bike. And... Um, Banks, as it was called, it's not Nair's little little shop, and I, I had to get half a dozen eggs, which I could say, and um, uh, stalk margarine, and I couldn't say stalk, stir, 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 stir. It's terrible, and they're all looking at you, everyone in the shop. So I said, I'll have a half a pound of stir, stir, butter. See? 
It's twice as dear. I know. And I put it on the back of the bike and it was hot. And I started talking to me, mate. It took a long while because I started. <laughs> <laughs> the butter will be melted by yeah, the yeah, you You've got it. I got home and it melted and she gave me a good idea. You left school at 14, as we heard, without mm. qualifications particularly, with, with your stutter. 30 years of age before you start playing darts, incredibly. What happened in the intervening 16 years? What did you do? Um, when I left school, I worked in a nursery um, not a kiddies nursery, no. like we used to, flowers. Like where they grow flowers, and and um, I, because my dad grew flowers, mm-hmm. so I was there to drain him, just do most drains, cuttings, potting them, and that was in Morley Road in, near Romford. Right, well, so cycled every day and that, and then on a Wednesday when I got a little bit sort of um, into it as such, I, I worked in Common Garden Market unloading the lorries for the flower market. Right. And it was very good fit all them days, the markets were. Mm. And uh, I, I couldn't be ill. Never was never ill on a Wednesday. No. Because I couldn't let anyone have that job. Because mm. I used to undo, uh, unload all the lorries for all the different people. And they say, take that box to, to stall 54. Take that one. Because it was someone the fit all them days, the lorry drivers. And they used to give me a, a bit out of it, see. So um, that was one sort of job. I used to like that job. And then um, from there, I I... I went toshing, painting, bridges and things. Yeah. Dangerous. Not like today they've got all ropes. Harnesses and all that, yeah. Nothing like that. Used to scrape the pigeon muck off and uh, you had to put it in a bag, couldn't go in the river. Um, And then you had to red lead it and then you had to give it a black coat and then you had to silver it. But we used to cheat a bit. And what we'd done, we red lead it all. And um, the black, we used to flick it. So you'd get a, a big striker brush and flick it all over the bridge it's only a certain bit at a mm-hmm. time and then paint it silver and then flick it again well the guy used to come along and check if he the inspector the coats well he'd scratch it and he'd do it a thousand times and he's got to come to the black he'd take the silver off and the black was always there so we used to <laughs> get away with it then and so, then later on you're a big strong man you're a big strong man now but as a as a young person you are a very large muscular human being um, i happen to have some family connection with this three of my uncles worked you must have known them. Yeah. In one of the most extraordinary things that ever happened in modern times, people don't think realise when the new Victoria line, the last big underground line was dug, it was dug by hand with oh. air, using pneumatic sp- air spades. And men like yourself and, and my uncles, I mean, just they tell me they worked in their underpants while the water poured down on top of them in compressed air. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, 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 that's right. Well, compressed air, if you're, uh, you've got 45-pound normal air pressure, um, and then if you went above that, then the water wouldn't come in so quick. But if you put the air pressure up, no water would come in, but you could get the bends if you go out quick because you had a chamber. You had to sit in a chamber uh, for an hour or two so you, you don't get no air, uh, bubbles in your blood. But we used to just go straight through, take a chance. It, it was, was the, an easy job. It was, was no very, s- very hard work, and you were earning a ton of money as well. Well, you used to have air spades. You used to get air spades because um, if you got like you got blue clay, it's like when you it's like coal. It breaks up like coal, especially in bad ground, obviously. Um, and you, these air spades were ninety pound they weighed. Once you got them into the clay, you keep them in. You just push in the spade as you pull the trigger and pull it down slightly, and a big lump of clay come off and you do that on a hand shield um which is 
tough old job. I know. It was not. You got really, really good money. We did, but I remember. You didn't get it for nothing. I think I, they told me that it, the, the, the tunnellers were earning so much money that the, the, there was a question in the House of Commons about it. That's right. There was. They were saying, "How can these guys earn this money? There's something wrong here." And I think they came down. I think the BBC filmed some of it, and they realised what we had to do for that money. I mean, you didn't have a toilet down there. You went where you worked. It's the bottom of the tunnel's called a vert. Well, you just went in, just just in the vert. Mm-hmm. So when you went down the tunnel in the morning, it used to stink terrible. But after five minutes, you got used to it. Um, you used to have plimsolls because you could move quicker. You know, when you built the rings, yeah. they're dangerous, the rings. You Massive, think, great metal Metal rings, sections, bolts, yeah. you had to, and then you had to pack the rings. If the tunnel went to the left, you had to pack the ring, um, half-inch packing, every two foot. So it gradually turned the tunnel around. That's how they actually bend the tunnel. And if they want it going the other way, or if they want it going down, they do the same. They put it in the in the top and or in the vert to lift the tunnel up. So it's not... There wasn't... I know they were sort of like hard-working, but they still had to do their job properly. And, Bobby, I know, too, that the, the health and safety culture we live in now, it was extremely dangerous. I heard the, the big metal bonds that used to hold up the weights yeah. used to snap. They used to cut that, yeah. your head off if they oh, were yeah, in the wrong the place. Pressure, Literally yeah. take your head off. Yeah, there was half-inch bonds, and they used to, they'd go on a winch, and you pull the rings up in position, and then you, you get... Um, it's, a, it's a rat tail spanner. It's a big spanner pointed at one end and the size of the nut where you do it up mm. you used to put that into the to the ring or the other ring and square it up and then put the bolts in but you've got to be very careful with your fingers that was a lot of guys lost their fingers or lost an arm or you lose your toes i mean it was but i was young no fear you see yeah. and i had the bees and honey that's why i went down there because i wanted the bees and honey um you also had a spell as a nightclub bouncer yeah i've done that it was a uh, experience um oh good money bouncing uh we was it was a lot of bullies though in them days you know they, or in the public or the bouncers no bouncers were bullies to be honest with you yeah you know and there's we were to a nightclub there's 12 of us and we had um you had 12 lights in the corner and your light was the red one so that's your corner and they used to have 12 bouncers or eight bouncers in different corners any rows going on just press the button and we knew we all went there so they they squashed it straight away, but they were a bit crude, really. These are, you beat knock people out, and you know it's they can't do it today. Now I'm glad that's cleaned up because you can kill someone so easy. They used to use knuckle dusters in them days, things like that. Well, so, the bouncers were armed. Yeah, they used to use knuckle dusters. Yeah, oh, they they were bullets. I mean, was what kind of nightclub scene was this? Were you talking about criminals, just ordinary members of the public? No, just normal public, but drinking and, oh, they've got bottles and they go for a bouncer with a bottle or they start smashing glasses and, you know, it it was, it didn't have the security as such, not not the rules of security. Were you ever frightened? Uh, no, not, not when you're young, got no fear. Now I would, I want me mummy now if I'd done it. This is a, an average adult life, you've had different jobs, you've got married, um, had kids. What possessed you to take up playing darts at 30 years of age? Well, a friend of mine called Malcolm Ellis, he says to me, I've got um, five or six tickets from the Metropolitan Police in Barkingside. They're going away for the weekend. I don't know how I got involved in the Metropolitan Police anyway. <laughs> so I said, yeah, I'll go sea fishing in Kingsale in Ireland. Beautiful place, yeah. Lovely. Uh, there's a, a hotel in the, in the actual 
it's on stilts in the bay there. It's lovely. And uh, we went, got on the, the boat, and it was up and down like, oh, dear. I was ground bait in the sides. I thought, oh, I can't be a sailor. Didn't go a lot on it. And we was all ill, so we come back. And he said, come on, let's go into the pub. And it was called the Lobster Pot. It's right opposite the Marina Hotel. And I went in there, and uh, he said, look, I've got these darts. You want? There was there were brass darts, silver-plated. He said, I had them made. I said, oh. Tungsten was coming on the market mm. then, but not, you know. And he said, we played pairs. So I said, all right, there's a few guys in there. And we started playing pairs, like 10p, whatever it was. I can't remember exactly. And yes, say eighty six. I so what way do I? So I could throw a dart, but I couldn't count. I mean, it takes a while to learn to count. And uh, he say treble eighteen, and I get it. And double sixteen, I get it. And this, I said, what do you want? And he tell me, and I get it. He said, how'd you do that? I thought, do what? You know, he said, I've been playing sixteen years. I can't do that. He said, why don't you play darts? Take it up. I said, well, it's not sort of. <laughs> muscular and manly not manly you know i hear him say good it john good it what you're drinking pat him on the back you know i thought what's that all about so he said no you've got to take it out you'd be silly not to so we came... you, had a, you could see you had a natural eye and talent for the game yeah yeah I, yeah yeah i threw darts when i was a kid probably at the yeah. door i can't remember that but not playing darts no. as such um i used to throw knives beyond i used to throw knives i was very good at throwing knives I also get a scaffold board, and I put a target on it in, in, in my garden. Right. And I used to throw knives, and I was really accurate throwing knives. So probably the knife throwing helped me with the dart throwing. It's not easy, knife throwing. It's like darts. It's an easy game to play, but it's a hard game to play well. You started playing darts in the mid-70s properly. Tell, tell us about what darts was like in the mid-70s and how you got to be so good at it so quick. Well, darts was more, it wasn't a razzmatazz. It was um, sort of everyone was quiet. They might shout good it in a pub, but it was sh -sh -sh -sh, game on, you know. Uh, it, it was elm balled, which is a small double and treble elm balls, right? right? They're smaller than, the dart balls are bigger today than what we started on. Um, how I got involved, like Malcolm, I went to the Super League and I joined the Super League. They wouldn't let me join first. They said, um, what team do you play for? I said, well, I don't play for a team. Uh, well, we want the best players in the Super League. That's why it's called Super League. Johnny Squires, his bloke's name, he's not with us now, but he was in charge. And um, he said, can you call? I said, no, oh, no, I can't count on a dartboard. Can you short then? I said, no. He said, well, you can't, go to, you can't join the Super League. And this Malcolm Miller said, look, I'm, I'm the top player here in this area. He, he can beat me. If you don't let him play sign i'm not going to play i'll give the boys due there and i paid me fee and i went in the tournament in the hainault super league first tournament and i won it and malcolm ellis won his section there's two of us and when he was when he was wasn't playing he used to stand behind me and tell me what way to go then i went to the essex masters which is all the all the best players in essex for the essex masters and um, this Johnny Squire's like, I'll never forget this. It's a lovely th feeling when you do it. He did. He thought. He said that was just lucky. A fluke. You winning that. A yeah. fluke. That's yeah. a fluke, right? It didn't respect. That's a fluke. Can't count. You know. That's a fluke. So I went to Essex Masters and I won it. 
You won, in fact, you won the Essex title, which is a very prestigious title in those days, three years running. Yeah, for three years on the trot. And by this time, you're, you're really established as, as a top darts player. Now, funnily enough, the first major win that you have, I mean, these are big tournaments, but the first really major win is not in this country at all. How come you became the American Open champion in 1978? Well, I've I never actually flown, I never got on a plane before then. And um, I was with a firm, um, Paul Durant, of this company. And he said, uh, look, he thought I was good. So he said, look, I paid for your trip to go to America. I said, OK. But if you win, I want the money back for the hotels and the flight. I yeah. said, fair enough. So we went to America. And Eric Bristow was with the same firm at that time, as it happens. And I won loads of tournaments in America. You were touring around the United States. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd done uh, L.A., um, San, Francisco, San, San Francisco, Santa Monica, Las Vegas, we, I was a month, over a month there. And I loved it. I just loved the dollars. They call me Bobby Dollar. Anything I could win a few quid, I had a go. And I won the North American Open, which is a very, very, very odd. Not because I won it, but you can ask any dart player. You can ask Eric, you can ask all of them. What's one of the hardest tournaments is North American Open? Because it's 301, double in, double out. Three legs. Now so that's dangerous. very quick, yeah. Dangerous. You go up the middle, go for the bullseye, every leg. So you're not tossing a coin like you would in the news as well. You're using your ability who goes first. Well, I hit the bullseye 25 every time. Started with double 14, and I, and I, just, I just loved America. I won loads and loads of tournaments. I've got a photograph. It's on the Queen Mary. I won it. And it's because that's, that's the history of the Queen Mary in the ballroom. I won it. Mm -hmm. And I got a photograph, a uh, bloke sent it to me, a big, big photograph, and it looked like Eric Bristow won it. He was chalking my side. And when I hit the double, he was jumping up in the air. Because them days, we was all together. Yeah. It wasn't so sort of like, yeah, it was all, if whoever's in, follow him. You know, there was loads and loads of Americans and only a few of us. So we, we backed each other, if you know what I mean. Are you, um, the trophy, I think, was was three, three or four foot high? Oh, it's massive. I couldn't. Did you take it away. home? No, I couldn't. It's taller than me. It's bigger than me. <laughs> I said, "How can I take?" They give the they present the trophy. <laughs> they did love a trophy over there, you know. But in the end, they changed it to plaques. They yeah. give you plaques. But North American Open was like six foot tall. The trophy. I never forget it. Like you couldn't. You have to take it on a plane. That undo it all. Unbolt it. But it was a prestige one. It was a world ranked tournament, and that put me on the ladder. The moment you arrive, really, I think really arrive in, in, in people's eyes in darts is the 1979 News of the World tournament. I need to explain to people, I think, that the News of the World used to have this tournament where you didn't qualify. Anybody could enter. If you were a pub player, a club player, you could enter. I think it was only three sets, uh, three three legs. Three legs. Three yeah, legs. Eight foot. And, I mean, I remember, where, where did it take place? What where, what was the venue? Well, they had Wembley Pool. They had yeah. that Wembley Pool Stadium. And you'd see Alexandra the whole Palace. place was full of darts players wanting to have oh, their go. Thousands. And the '79 tournament was live on ITV for hour after hour after hour, and you won it. Yeah, well, that done me a favour because the horse racing or something, it didn't didn't have no horse racing. I think that day, and they played every game of the News of the World, and um, I got there the year before. I got in '78. Yeah, 1978. I got to the finals. I can't remember. I think Jockey Wilson beat me that year. And then I, I came back, I had to qualify, but it's so difficult. You've got to win your pup. Well, and then you have your, your sort of like your local area finals. Then you have your division. And then you have your county. Then you have your eastern counties. And then you're in the news of the world. 
So uh-huh. you can play a lot, a lot of games. One mistake, toss of a coin, who went first? Eight foot. They say eight foot don't make a lot of difference. It's, it's, it's three, three inches. inches, yeah. One of the, it is one of the hardest tournaments. But at the, the time, people regarded it as the real world championship. Well, it was. It was in the AGB World Championship. That was it. That was that was going fifty years, I think, or four, not not in twenty eight. It's it, uh, usually well started. Yeah, so you uh, won the fiftieth tournament. Yeah, not not in twenty eight. Yeah. yeah. So the BD only just started in the world championship. So everyone, it was a great thing to win because everyone knew he won the news of the world because they all played in it. That's the difference. All the different countries: you America, got, you Australia. Beat- yeah, you beat Alan Glazier. You beat him 2-0 in the final in front of 7,000 people. Mm. Um, the prize was presented to you by uh, Diana Dawes. Yeah, Diana Dawes. How did your life change after that? Because you're now famous, aren't you? be honest with you, I used to, I've always dreamt I was going to win the news of the world. Now, it's a funny thing when you say you dream it. It sounds like a load of rubbish. But I dreamt me winning the news of the world and picking a cup up above me head. And it's weird. So when I won it, I thought I'd been here before. I hadn't, but I always wanted to win it. The following years, uh, 79, that year again, you also won the Butlins Grand Masters and you retained that in 80. And then in the actual world champions, as they were then, the BDO Worlds in 1980, played at Jolly's Cabaret Club in Stoke-on-Trent. Yeah, yeah. You got to the final. You were that close to being the BDO world champion too, but you lost to Eric Bristow in the final. Yeah, Eric, I had my chances. It was a great final. Um, when you're playing a tournament um, and you've had chances, you don't make excuses. I had my chance and I didn't take it. You were you were ahead three times. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was a great yeah, two three two three because it's you know it's best of five legs are set and it was three two three two all the way. Um, I'll probably won more legs, but you lose the game. Um, yeah, Eric played well. It was an entertaining match because we changed. I would say me and Eric changed the game. Do you know what? Man, you're doing very well here. You can see you've done a lot of broadcasting. My next question is. Do you think the razzmatazz of the battles between you and Bristow, big personalities, good at looking into a television camera, plenty to say, it was changing the actual game of darts, wasn't it? Yeah, because I, I wore this sequin shirt. Um, I went abroad and um, I see this guy singing Elvis. He's impersonating Elvis. He couldn't sing, but he had a cat suit on, yellow one, all sequins over it. And the, 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 the girl with me, her dad owned a pub, King George V. And she was a dressmaker, and I said, to her, oh, "Make me one of them. I'll wear. I won't wear a catsuit, but make me a shirt with all glitter on." And her dad said, "You wouldn't wear that, would you?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "I'll bet you twenty-five quid you don't. They're twenty-five quid, ain't they? You know." So, so I wore it. So I came out like an ice skater in the nineteen eighty World Championship, um, and people was put turn the telly on to see the idiot with the sequins, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But they didn't forget me. No. So I started the candles walking on with the candles and the glitter and then later on obviously i had a walk on girl with my wife marie she was the first walking girl and the music i started the music as well so whatever they say i've done something in the sport well but you heard earlier on about how your image had been part of the explosion in darts popularity that happened in the late 70s and the early 80s um and i'm sure much of it was great fun but there were times when um your fame didn't work perhaps as, ho- as well as you'd hoped. Uh, you went on the Russell Harty show, which was then the biggest chat show in Britain by a mile. Millions watched it. You didn't enjoy the experience. No, he, he was quite rude. He didn't like the game of darts. You know, he said to me, who are you? And it, like, it was rude, you know. Um, he tried to make it like we're idiots. 
Yeah, I didn't go a lot. I didn't really. I think I think they uh, they they were trying to. I mean, you know, the darts. There was a lot of drinking. You went on the darts and that, but he kept going on and on about how you're all boozers and all that. Well, he said he said to me, um, "Have you ever been drunk when you were playing? How many times have you been drunk?" He said, "That's used to talk." Right. Come on, tell us. Have you ever been drunk when you're playing darts? I said, "No, I've been a few times." That's what I said. <laughs> but you got, in fact, oddly enough, that same show you did make a, a friend though, Gilbert O'Sullivan, who was yeah, then Gilbert O'Sullivan was on that huge show. pop star was, at the time. Yeah, he was a really nice boy, Gilbert. Yeah. Really, really nice man. He was and uh, quiet, uh, very quiet. Yeah, but he loved the game of darts. Um, I, I, I gave him a signature for his mum because she, she wanted my signature, and uh, he, he just loved he loved darts. There's loads of people in, in different. Walks of life, yeah, in different like singers. Well, yeah, they famously now, they, Stephen they Fry is famously mad for it, isn't he? You know, um, listen, the there were other professionals though who didn't take so much to your showbizzing the game up. I mean, John Lowe, who was a great darts player, of course, mm-hmm. he didn't take. He wanted to, to ban the, <clears throat> the, the the sparkly shirts. Well, he, he formed a union and a, um, a darts players union. So he made himself chairman and whatever, you know. And he 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 wanted to ban the game uh, sequin darts, uh, sequin shirts. Sorry. Yes. He wanted to ban sequin shirts because uh, it wasn't very good for the game of darts. Now, if I never wore the sequin shirt or dressed up and had the candles and the cloak and the music, yeah, I don't think the game. Look, I, I, he he didn't like it. He called me a Mickey Mouse player because I won everything in America. See, near Disneyland. Yeah. And I said to him, well, John, everyone knows Mickey Mouse, but not everyone knows John Lowe. So I've got my own back with him. I understand you do a very good impression of John. Yes, I'm the best dark player in the whole wide world. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I've got whole loads of questions for you here about, about this time. Um, it was in, in Los Angeles that you had what's described to me here as you got one and only go at taking drugs. Well, I, I didn't actually take the drugs. I... I didn't smoke them days, and a friend of mine, a dark player, um, he used to roll his own. And he said, oh, I'll try one of these Ascenti. I said, oh, I, don't, I don't smoke. Yeah, I'll try one. It's just, you know, just breathe it in. That's, like he said, not smoking a fair. I said, well, I don't smoke. All right, he gave me a couple of drags of this it's, this um, roll-up. Mm-hmm. It's a bit weird, it was. And uh, I didn't say no, it's a bit, I'll just give it back to him. He was laughing. I went to the toilet. I couldn't get out of the toilet. I couldn't find, couldn't find the door. It's only four foot by four foot. I walked in <laughs> around in circles. So it did have some effect on you. Yeah, yeah, Oh, yeah. I couldn't get out of the toilet. Didn't know where it was. Didn't go back to it, Bob? No way, babes. No. That was my dodgy experience. Uh, didn't like that. Were the darts groupies by this stage? Were very famous people. Oh, yeah. You get your groupies everywhere you went, obviously. You know. Um, but everywhere, every country, you had groupies. I suppose you probably do now. I'll get the old, I'll get the grannies now. I'll do. <laughs> <laughs> All of this, um, you, uh, you you lost in the quarterfinal of the World Champions in eighty one. Um, you're still playing. Um, two things happened in in, in nineteen eighty one. I think we have to talk about. One is the start of Bullseye. Super magic great, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, with Jim Bowen and the effect that had on darts. And two, you got very very ill. You nearly died. Well, I, I was playing in a tournament, and um, before I played in a tournament, I didn't feel well. I went to the doctors, and he said, I think you've got a bug, a bit of a fever, and I felt terrible. And so I went and see another doctor, and he said exactly the same. He said, um, it, probably, you, you lose it a couple of days. So I went in a tournament, played a couple of rounds, and I was playing on the stage, and 
I, I think I want you to double eight in everything in all different colours. And I threw the dart. You're not dart. back on the wacky back here, are no, you? No, 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 happy back, you know. And I threw, threw the dart and it went in the, and I won the match. And then I went back to the hotel. The pain's in my stomach. I was sharing a room with Jockey then. Yeah. And I said, I'm at my stomach. He said, no, I'll get you a double brandy, he said. You can what I mean. So he goes and gets me like half a pint of brandy. And he said, that'll do you good. And I said, no, I just can't, I just can't take, I can't drink, you know, I've got to have a, Got to get to the hospital, so he drank the he he drank it, won it, made him feel better, and um he he went and got Alan Glaze's girlfriend. She was a nurse, right? And she came into the room, jockey went and got her, and she taught me pulse, and she couldn't find any pulse hardly. She said you got something problem, so they rushed me, um, got the ambulance, rushed me to Middlesbrough Hospital, and I had a busted spleen, so I nearly bled to death. I mean that's that's pretty serious, isn't it? Yeah, I was t- I went up, I was twenty one. St- I was a big guy then. Yes. And I went down to ele- from twenty one to eleven stone in a month. Yeah. In the I hospital, was I thought this is me. I'm on my way out here, and um, I got over it. So I never put the shape back as I had before because my body ate my body away more or less. That's what it does. Um, but I got over it. And have you got a big scar? Yeah, we've got a big scar down there. Yeah, yeah. Don't show anyone your scar. No, 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 quite. No, no, no. Right. I've got but, a big scar. Well, you're, you're, you're indicating from your breastbone down past your navel, yeah? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, but they, you know, I'll get over it. I've got no spleen. I have to be careful. I have to take, you know, the old uh, medication because I'm, anyone got a cold, I can catch it easy. The long-term event of it, apart from changing the shape of your body, is that you had to give up drink for several years. Yeah. Uh, five or six years, I didn't drink at all. I drank lemonade. What was that like? Well, our whites is the best lemonade because you've got the biggest bubbles in it, right? <laughs> and I used to drink lemonade all the time. And, uh, of course, there's dark play. You don't see a dark play drinking, but I no. couldn't drink. So, I, no, I, just, I could play darts the same. It, it just... didn't affect the dark playing because often no. I think I no. myself, I'm slightly better when I've had about two and a half pints. Well, that's your nervous system. Like, yeah. You do that to calm your nerves, but you don't necessarily, if you're a dark, you don't really need that. No. And I couldn't drink, so I, I played without just lemonade. Tell the story about the, t- the the night you tricked the police in your Rolls yeah. Royce. You had a roller, didn't you? Yeah, yeah I had a Corniche convertible. Oh, nice, so I was nice. up in Liverpool. Yeah. And I'd done a show, and um, I went back to the pub. He said, come back, I'll get a Chinese or Indian. So I went back to the pub, and it was late. It was about half one. I was on the drive home. And I'd come out. I see the police outside, you know. Yeah. So, well, they're waiting for the owner of a very flash car, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they're going to yeah. you know, beat me up like, with a ticket or whatever. Or yeah. if I'm drinking and driving. So I get in the car, and as I just just pull out the car, pop, jumps in front of me. Right, he said, uh, your car? I said, uh, you know, what idiot. Yeah. You know. He said, you've been drinking? I said, yeah. How many pints you had? Ten, I said. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. And he said, look, give me, you used to have tubes, you used to blow in. The old breathalyzer, like, yeah. yeah. Colours, different colours. Yeah. And I blew in it, and he went, hmm. And we we'll have to wait 10 minutes. So he waited 10 minutes, blew again. Oh, he said, it's not registering. He said, how many pints you drink? I said, 10 pints. He said, what of? I said, lemonade. He didn't like that. <laughs> he didn't like that at all. I mean, I'm that stupid. If I had a drink, I wouldn't drive. You know, that's silly. So um, that was Andy, because I drink lemonade them days. So You went back to playing very quickly after your operation and all that. Um 
I don't know, Bobby, because of the, where you are from in the world, and everyone thinks that anyone from the East End of London is a gangster, don't they? That's well, just the way it sort is. Of, yeah. They do. That's yeah, the kind yeah, of. Yeah. Na- it's it's, it's well, Arthur Daly. As well. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. In the World Championships in 82, somebody called the police because they thought they recognised the rings you were wearing. Oh, yeah, that idiots. And there's some idiots about. I mean, if you're going to. You're on TV, and of course, everyone can see that, that yeah, I'll, handful I'll, of rings you used to play with. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw them in my right hand, and yeah. all the rings and jewelry on my left. Yes. I'll take my darts out with me. Absolutely. Left. You do, automatically. But of course, they're this big old, on the television, they're yeah, huge. Of course, they're a big ring, then. Yeah. And some said he had them stolen them out of his safe. Now, I was. Years earlier. Years earlier. So. Police come and say, I'm detective so and so, this is, I thought, I thought it was Sid Waddell doing a wind-up. <laughs> Did you? Because so, that's what they used to do, see? I said, oh, yeah. He said, uh, we believe they are stolen, the rings. They were stolen. Uh, where did you get them from? I said, I broke into a safe the other night and nicked them, like, oh. mucking about. He said, Once again, not happy. that doesn't make the police happy, Bob. You must no, know but that. No, I didn't, I didn't, I thought it was a joke, you see? Yeah. Oh, this is very serious, sir. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, uh, once someone's, I said, look, I can give you where I had them made, so it's up, you know, in it. They squashed it. But it just shows you people watching television think it was, it was a one off ring I had. He was saying that it was his, and it, obviously it was. Darts started to fade away a bit. Your own form faded away a bit, and you started to play more exhibitions than uh, as well. What happened? Well, um, I, 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 not sponsored. I worked for Carriage Brewery, and um, I used to go around all their clubs and pubs. Um, obviously, they get people. Um, playing tournaments to play me in their club or, yeah. or pub. And uh, so, I, really, I didn't go for the, the tournaments. I went for the money. Do you regret uh, that now or not? I could have won more, probably. But then I think I'd done the right thing. Uh, you know, uh, used to go around the world and the prize money wasn't great them days. You win a trophy and you got a title. But you can't go in a shop and just say, I won so-and-so. They want the money, don't they? Yeah. So I, I did take the easy route. I had to work hard. Curry's Brewery was very, very good to me. Without that brewery, probably I wouldn't be where I was today because they'd done all the beer mats, they'd done all the glasses, they'd done the tablecloths, they'd done everything with my name on. So they promoted me and I promoted their, their beers and they paid me well. I mean, obviously, when you're playing these exhibitions, uh, like a boxer, I guess, you might have to hold some of these guys up because obviously you can beat the people who are happy to play against you hollow. I mean, we hear now, you know, following Phil Taylor's example, the darts players are practising for four, five, six, seven hours a day. Were you ever a great practiser yourself? And, and did this affect the way you could play when you were just playing not, not real games? Well, everyone's different. You know, a lot of modern players think if they do five or six hours on the dartboard a day, they get come back. It helped some people, but I'd, it never, it didn't really help me. I wasn't a great practice. No, I, I played against people. I'd rather go down a pub or a club, put my name on the dartboard and play anyone, than then practice on my own because you haven't got the timing on your own. You throw a dart. And you walk up to the dart, we'll take the dart out, come back to the hockey, throw the dart. That's not well, that's not real, is it? That's not real. It takes probably about 14 seconds in between throws. And that's what I used to teach my boy that. Throw your dart, take it out, count 14 seconds, go and walk, kick the wall. Well, not actually mm, kick yeah. it, but touch the wall, turn round and throw. So like you, you would if you're up on stage. Yeah, so you've got the timing. So when you practice on your own, you don't, don't do that. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We'll come on to uh, to your second great victory in the news of the world in a second, but in as it was always the case, once dance became so popular, um, it became a target for other people. There were people who were jealous of it. There were people who thought they were earning a lot of money. There were also the young comedians who just thought this is this is a a, a riot. Um, do you remember the famous not the nine o'clock news sketch um, where instead of playing darts, uh, the, the dart players were represented by these great big fat blokes, and it really it was about downing pints. Well, it, it, he said he's going for a double. It was gin. Always, he's going for a double, and it's a double gin. Yeah. Always down straight away. That's well, so uh, many milligrams, he said. The fact of the matter is Bobby uh, said it creased up about uh, that. Great. Yeah. I think it's great. Yeah. It's, it's done well as well. Yeah. The M6 came on. 100 <laughs> milligrams. I yeah. thought it was funny. So they had it all very, very good. Well, the thing is, I know people take it um, to dark players, but I think you, if you don't have a bit of fun taken out of your game, then you never get recognised. And in that time, they're doing us a favour because people watched the game and they watched that and they thought it was quite humorous. Yeah, it was. It was very, very funny. Um, same year, 1986, you won the second News of the World tournament. Tell us about that. Second of your titles. Well, I, I didn't actually um, go in any tournaments for a, a fair while. I went in the News of the World again and um, I got, I, 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 and I won. But, but the thing is, what annoyed me, the, tele, the first year I won it, the, the the racing, the horse racing was on strike, 79. Yes. And then 86, when I played, the cameras went on strike, so it wasn't on the television. That's my luck. Yeah. But it's a great to win it again. It's a great feeling. And do you remember who presented you with the, the trophy? Page yeah, three, yeah, model, yeah, Maria, yeah, Maria Whitaker. That's it, Maria Whitaker, yeah. Yeah, lovely. Absolutely lovely, lovely of jubbly. course. Yeah, as they say, lovely, lovely. <laughs> among, among the other things um, that you started doing at that time is um, going around the world. I mean, this is how big an entertainer you were, I guess. Those, going around the world... Uh, Meeting our troops abroad in different places and entertaining the troops. Tell us about that, if you can. Yeah, I went to Falkland Islands. That was quite interesting. You know, um, I, I I walked from Stanley to, uh, it was Peggle Bay or something it was called, mm-hmm. anyway, um, with a kit on. And um, they said, you've got to keep on the, on the rocks. Don't go on the, on the uh, peats because it's mines. It could be mines, you oh see. Oh, my God. So when you're walking and you're after it, you're going like... Make sure you're not you're, you're on the stepping stones as such, right? And then you forget and put your foot on the peak. You think, oh no, oh. Then a bloke would come along and he, because if you went on the peak, you shouldn't, you, you can't 
put lift your foot up. And you go around with like a, a bit of metal. Yeah, looking for the landmine. Yeah, and what they do, they've got these, they've got loads of fields all fenced off. They've got loads of sheep in them, and they're, they're, they're mined. But poor old sheep, occasionally you bang, and because that's how they clear the fields. Yeah, they could take years and years and years. It was quite, uh, it's quite a nice place to go because their national sport over in the Falklands was darts. Is that right? Yeah, they they actually played darts on the radio over there. <laughs> oh, I actually played for one team, the Vic, Victoria, I think Victoria, it was called, and I play I played for them one one night. You also went to the golf in uh, during the first yeah, golf war in nineteen ninety one. Yeah, both. Yeah, that was a bit scary uh, because when you go there, you know you don't know what's going to happen. That's the thing. After it happened, it wasn't as bad as I thought it might be. The only thing I didn't like is when they set lights to all the old worlds and that you couldn't see the you could see the sun, but through a black all black it was. You got covered in a, a, like um, a, a soot. Yeah, it was a terrible thing what they'd done there. Uh, I went to Kuwait as well. Um, you went to East Dabby Berlin, Charger. I think. You've been to, to see the Germans, see, see our troops in Berlin as well. Yeah, I've, I've done Berlin loads of times. Oh yeah, I've done all, well. I've done all the all, all the camps in um, Germany. Of course, they're all closed down now. And uh, I've been to East Berlin. Tell uh, us about going through. You must go through Checkpoint Charlie, I suppose. Yeah, um, Alpha. Was, it's the first one you go through. And then they time you from one to Checkpoint Charlie. And you got say you've got two hours because you're not supposed to speed. So if you do it quicker, they, they you can get told off. Right. So they say keep to the speed limit. If you break down, then they come and find you, our guys, if you haven't checked in. It was all like... It was weird, really, because you, you, you go for this checkpoint, you get out of your car, you get your passport and your whatever you're in rank and all that, and um, you, there's like a mirror. Uh, you can't see. It's a mirror. Yeah. You can see yourself, but yes. and you've got a slit underneath. Yeah, it's, two, it's a two, so-called two-way mirror, isn't it? Yeah, so and, they you, can see yeah you. and you, you've got like the, the actual thing you put it, it's got a dip in it, so you put your passport like in there. Like a hand comes out and snatches it, sort of nasty, and they're all looking at you all nasty. You have to salute them, and they have to salute you, the Ruskies, soldiers. Um, and then, because I was working for a cigarette company over there then, and they could see them all in the back of my car, because they asked me for some fags. So I'll give them, you know, pack, cut the free packets, and then I got told off because they filmed me doing it. They could have done me for bribing the guards. Or something. Right. It's all playing games, it was. Um, I enjoyed it, but it, it, was, it, it was an experience. We heard... We heard in the in the quickfire part of the program in, in your Sporting Inquisition that your favourite city um, is San Francisco. What's your favourite place in the world, in Britain or anywhere in the world? My house, my home. <laughs> Wait, well, we have to talk about your house a little later because it is yeah. an extraordinary dwelling, isn't it? I love my home. Uh, you it, built it with your own hands. Yeah, I, I love all the cities I've been to. I've been around the world, different places and that, um, and I've enjoyed it, but it's lovely to come home. One more thing I wanted to ask you in, in, in this section... Um, during the late 80s, a new generation of dart players came through, of which obviously the dominant figure over the past quarter of a century has been Phil Taylor. But I think that you think at his peak, Dennis Priestley was the best player of the new generation. Dennis Priestley was playing in the embassy. It was called the Embassy well, BDO, um, Ch yeah. World Championship. And um, he said, I walked into the players' room and he was on the dartboard. And he said, uh, got a few games with me. He said, I'm playing tonight. I said, OK. So I took my leather coat off and I said, go on, where you go. Because you you, 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 he's got the timing, you see. Yeah. He's gone 180, I've gone 60. He's gone 180, I've gone 60. He missed the nine data. 
he done a 10 dart. So, great darts. So I go off, 100, he goes 180, then he goes 180, he missed a 9 dart, oh. he does a 10 dart. He hit 10 dart, 10 dart, 10 dart, 10 dart, 9 dart. How about that? He hit 10 ton 80s in five legs. I've never seen anyone ever do that. Amazing. It was amazing what he'd done. So I had a bet on him to do a nine dart and, he, and to win his match, and he went out. He got beat. <laughs> amazing. But he's the best dart player I've seen throw darts. I mean, Taylor's great. Why has Phil been so successful then, do you think? Well, it's uh, it's a different system he's in. in the, the BDO system is not, say, difficult, but it's the rewards are not so good. In the PDC, you get rewarded better if you play better. So he practised and practised and practised. And people say, what's the difference? I said, well, a player like Phil Taylor comes along once in a lifetime. It's a shame he came along in mine. <laughs> in the early 90s or mid-90s, 93, 94, we'll come on talk about those two tournaments. The darts had moved to Lakeside and it was the mm. big thing on television all the rest of it. You came back to it, but you'd had about five or six years off. What did you do in that time and why? Well... well I had two little nippers, so I wanted them more. From your second marriage. From my second marriage, yeah, uh, Robert and Richard. Uh, I wanted to. I, I, I didn't want to go into tournaments, to be honest with you. I wanted to work for the breweries, like I say, and I got guaranteed money. I had more time at home, instead of travelling around, working for the brewery, then weekends travelling around the world. You know, I thought I'd have a break from it. And then, um, 93, I went in the world playoffs, I thought. My missus said, why don't you just go for the kids so they can see you? It's only little then. Right. So I said, all right, I'll go back and I'll go for the... Did the, you practice or anything? No, no, I didn't. Because I played all the time. Yeah. So my practice was playing every night against different good players, bad players, but the timing. Mm -hmm. And it was it's hard work. It's not easy to play darts every day. The travelling involved, you've got to still perform. Do you ever get bored with it? No, I don't. Well, I'll, I get, think I'll, I'll right. get bored with the travelling. I don't like that. I only ask because when I think about Phil Taylor in, the, in that blinking house in Stoke-on-Trent with a dart board, we've all seen the pictures on the back of the bedroom door. Practising four or five, six hours on your own, I would oh, find that mind-numbing. Well, it's, well I, I, don't, I, I wouldn't, couldn't do it, mate. No way. So I played people, and I went in the playoffs, 93. I said, I had a... Uh, a bar in, I was at a pub in my house, more or less, a bar mm -hmm. of dartboards. So got your trophies in it, hasn't it? Yeah, you, well, not now. I've got rid of them. I haven't got rid of them, but a lot of them. Um, I, I played darts at home with my, my little boy. Um, some mates used to come round. Um, and then uh, she said, well, Marissa, why don't you go in the, uh, the playoffs and see if you can qualify for the kids? I said, all right. So I did, and I won the playoffs, 93. Yeah. And then I got um, to the semi-final. John Lowe, yeah, it was John Lowe beat me. Yes, I beat him. <laughs> yes, easy. <laughs> yeah, so um, he, he beat me, Lowe. Talk to him about the, the quarter-final. It was a very famous game against Mike Gregory. Mike Gregory, I think he was... I don't know if he was one or two in the world at the time. He was... Because um, he, he, yeah, he was runner-up the year before. Yeah, very highly to, rated, to, yeah. To Phil Taylor, because Phil Taylor was in that tournament as well. But he went out early doors. It happens like that. Um, Mike Gregory, was, he's a great dart player, Mike Gregory. He's a practice guy as well. And they thought he was going to beat me up easy. Beat me up, not physically. No, no. But no. It's, uh, that ain't going to happen. It's my saying. Yeah. But he, you know. And um, he, I think he had a 180 to leave and he couldn't finish. And I came down and down and then I played really, really well. 
jumped up in the air like a great pitching shot when I beat him. And that's all, that was first thrust. So I was on my way then. Yeah. I was on my way. I beat one of the top players um, at that time. Um, and I've been out of it for five years, self six years, wherever it was. Which means that the next year is even more remarkable. At Lakeside, 1994, having been out of the game for half a decade, um, you become the oldest man ever to reach the final of the World Championships. Yeah, well, at the time, I thought I was young, see? <laughs> <laughs> if I get there now, I'll be old. Tell, um, us about, tell us about that run. Well, I, 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 I had a, quite a good run. Um, to the quarterfinals, because uh, because I was in the tunnels, like I said earlier on, mm-hmm. I, I that all my bone structure was damaged, like my elbows, me, uh, me, my hip, yes. I, I, all my body up, digging and yes. lifting things, and of course my back was weak, the spine, and all the muscles had gone round my spine, so it took place of me bone structure. And I must have... I jumped up in the air. It's in the quarterfinals against a man called Kevin Kenny, yeah? Kevin Kenny from Liverpool. I jumped up in in this quarterfinal. I come down and the stage gave the bit and he went, I could hear it go. And I thought, "Uh -uh, this is dodgy. The pain. Because I threw a dart and I didn't put the power behind the dart. And I took the two darts out. One was on... But he was a nice boy, he was. He's a nice bloke, he was. He knew he said, you've done your bag, haven't you? I said, killing me. He picked me dart up and gave it to me. Anyway, I'll beat him. I actually, I, I, I actually had enough strength for me to be. I was in front of him anyway, on the sets, and then I couldn't do nothing. I had to go in hospital then. Um, and it turned out that the previous worst injury ever in darts was somebody who done the ligament in their thumb. You'd broken your back on the stage. Yeah, yeah my, unlucky, and I, I, I. I'm not saying I would. I could. I should have won it that year, really. I think the year before I played better. But that year, I was I was more buzzy. I was into it. But You uh, came back out of the hospital, beat a man called Magnus Karras, 5-4 in semis, wearing right. a corset. Yeah, they made me a corset. Right? No spender belts or nothing. A corset they made me, and they tightened it up. So they, they didn't give me any drugs at all to take the pain. They said, you shouldn't pay, you can be paralysed. They wouldn't give me anything. Now, today they probably would have done to in the medicine today but they wouldn't give you any injections or anything so I had to go through the pain barrier all the time and I was 4-2 uh, down or something I was way behind and he went 141 and he went treble 20 treble 15 and he clipped the wire on double 18 and then he never won a leg you won the last 9 I think 9 legs on the spin now I don't know I've done it really and then I couldn't move again a stupid question were you in pain during all this Bobby yeah yeah. Terrible. Because you, you lost yeah, the finals to John Park easily. It murdered you. Well, what can I do? No. I stood there. I scored well. Um, they said to me, Bob, whatever you can, you, you've got to play the final. Did please. you want to pull out, Bobby? Because you've broken your back, man. Well, if I pulled out, now this is true. If I pulled out, which probably, looking back, I probably should have done. Because all they say, oh, uh, John Park beat him 6 0. They don't say I've got a broken back. No one ever says that. Yeah, that's what annoys you. Annoys you. Mm-hmm. But if I pulled out, he would have to play Magnus Karras. Now, suppose if Magnus had beat John Parr, that would make me world champion, wouldn't it? You understand what I mean? I understand that so, the convoluted route you've taken take, to get to that, yeah. yeah but obviously, I. By the same token, I'm, I'm British Broadcaster of the Year. Fantastic. Yeah. But the thing is, I, I've done it because I, I, I thought I'd do it for the. I thought I, I'd done it in the semi, I yeah. could do it again. Couldn't do it. 
I could score well on the 20s. I, in fact, I outscored him, if you get video of it, every lap, but I couldn't hit a double because I couldn't move my body. I couldn't go to the right or I couldn't go to, I had to be straight. If I went back and done it again, what I know, I would have left double top. Because it's straight on. Because it's straight on. But there you are. If, if he's half of life, if you spell life, if he's half of it. One last thing about then. It, may, it does mean that you've never won the official world championship, despite being one of the most famous darts players ever. Is that a regret for you? <coughs> well, like I said, News of the World to me was world champion, which it was NDAGB. Um, that was their world championship. The other one, not really, no. Had the chance. I could have won a lot of tournaments, but if you don't hit the doubles, you don't win. Scoring's for show, doubles for dough. As you, as you famously say uh, yeah. on your commentaries, which we'll talk about in just a little while here on My Sporting Life. And of course, all of this time, we're starting to see the split between the two organisations, initially the BDO and the WDC. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed. I'm bewildered that they haven't put the two lots together again. I don't understand. Has it been good for the sport? <coughs> Why don't they fix it? Why doesn't Barry Hearn fix it? Well, see, the BDO has got it counties, okay? It's an organisation and they make money, but it's just got to go back in again all the time. It's a, it's a club. It's a yeah, charity it's a, kind it's of thing. It's yeah. an organisation. Yeah. Uh, PDC is, guys get money all the time. They, they go on what they win. That gives them the status in their game. Um, Barry Earn done well for them. Um, without they wasn't doing anything really no for 10 i don't know 10 or whatever many years 20 years must be 20 years since mm. the split or more than that 22 years something like that till barry realized there was no oh, oh, barry hills. spelt money for yeah i'll have some of this and he done really good you got you know i've got to give him credit there yes because he's got or he fills the yours up the guy's getting earning good money if you're up the top but they all got to pay probably 600 pound a week average to play in that system well you've got to have a good sponsor. Mm. So they're more of sort of, you have sponsors and get more money. The BDO, their state, they train them. They train, they teach them the game. The BDO without the BDO, the PDC got, ain't got no players. They've got to nick the players from the BDO. So it's great for the sport. I think you don't, it, when they first started, it was all nastiness. Yeah. Yeah, it was really nasty. I, I remember when they actually signed I was sitting next to Phil Taylor and his dad, right? And they come out with this thing and they were signed. I said, what's that? They said, I'll be doing a, a players' union or something. I didn't, no one asked me. No one ever asked me to join because i just come back in the sport. 93, and I think 94 they split or 93 they split. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know what it was all about. I ain't got a clue what it was about because it didn't involve me. And of course, it got a bit nasty. So, oh, Bobby Jewell should have done it. But I wasn't asked to do anything. I'd done my own thing. I didn't have to. I don't have to play in tournaments. If I want to, I can. PDC, if you don't play in the tournaments every week or every other week, and you don't earn any money or get anything, then you're you don't get on the telly. Well, you've explained very carefully and I think very clearly the difference between two organisations. Do you think, in the long term, for the good of darts, it'd be better if we had one world champion? Uh. Yeah, but what one? It's, it's comes an argument. What one was mm. world champion? PDC one. If they put me over, does it play at Lakeside? You, you know what I mean. So, mm. I don't think it will um, ever get back. To be honest with you, but it's great for the game. I think it's good for all dart. Any darts on television, in the on the in the papers, in the media, it's great for our sport.
One of the reasons why Bobby is so recognisable, of course, is that voice and that face are never off the television. Most recently, of course, his uh, new his sidekick, if I'll use it properly, in the presentation of darts on the BBC, their fantastic coverage of the BDO uh, from Lakeside, is our own Colin Murray, who I'm delighted mm. to say, because A, he works cheap, and B, he's handy, is here in the studio. Hi, Colin. It's the only time that my sporting life seems a bit too short is uh, Bobby George <laughs> is the guest. For everyone yeah. else, it's a long form interview. I always think we should have done a four-hour interview and put it up on the website <laughs> or something. Colin, um, obviously, Bobby was doing it a long time before you came along, the darts presentation. How have you got on with him, as, uh, and how do you find him as a colleague? Awful. It's a dreadful. Yeah. No, actually, it, 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 it sounds like I'm just saying this, like, and this is your life. You know, when you used to watch This Is Your sure, Life, you sure. thought, all these people can't be as nice as what they say. But no, he is the least selfish person I've ever worked with from the minute I came in there. So uh, he'll, he'll do anything for you. You know, he'll do anything you ask. He does his research. He uh, he gets involved in stupid ideas. He, you know, I remember, oh, there's so many things that you think he won't do that and he'll do it. What were the t-shirts we wore? Well, you wore the one that was this, a child t-shirt and then ripped your way out of it. Yeah, and they gave me a t-shirt. It's for a four-year-old. Yeah. And I've got 56 chest. <laughs> <laughs> Did he kill yeah. me? Well, I can't remember. There was someone, someone. I can't remember whose t-shirts they were. I think it was, they, uh, it was Scott Mitchell's Scott and Scotty Dogs. Yes. Yeah, so Dogg. I had his on. I think it's his dog. His, his dog. What he gave me? That I think that's what it was. Yeah. So I had his on. That was like twenty times too big, and then it cut the bobby. Were like this kid's one on. He ripped his way out of it. He's doing for you so no he's brilliant to work with and clearly clearly, you I mean your own passion for darts is uh, shines through the work and even when we're changing over here at Talk Sport you're throwing you're yeah, supposed it. to be showing me what we're doing next you're actually throwing three darts into yeah. the, the dartboard at work um and has has working with Bobby even added to that for you, yeah, Colin? Absolutely, he, he's he's brilliant, giving me tips off air to improve my darts. And and the great thing, Bobby's very honest. So and some players don't like it. I mean, we've had players just out of shot trying to confront Bobby when we're on air because he's just labelled the game as it is. You know, he's not going to win this. This is not. He's not good enough to win. He, you know, he, he'll look very honest at, at, at the games. And uh, he, so he's very quick to point out what you're doing wrong and he'd be the same with me. And and so he's, he's taught me loads of little tricks that even just, to, I was just presenting the show with Ronnie O'Sullivan and mm-hmm. I was just passing one on to him about grouping. So he always tells me good things. He's very clever. He's beyond clever with the things, the way his, his brain works. So he's very good at very quickly making you a better dart player. And then the best thing is I hit my second ever 180 at your house. Like, yeah. like uh, six, got a photograph well, it six weeks phone. ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, against him and took the leg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Tommy, you'll never oh. mention that. You forgot to give him trouble to start as well. There's a, there's, a, there's a phone in that, Colin. I know you were doing it earlier today. Oh, so good. Bobby, oh. uh, you said to me earlier on when we were talking about this that uh, it's fun working with Colin because he doesn't ask you to rehearse. He, he, no, he doesn't, no. doesn't spoil it, and it's the right way with interviews. He doesn't spoil it by saying what he's going to say. So well, you've got to be he, on your toes. He just, uh, it's funny. It's, it makes me laugh, and it's natural. Does if he? you laugh and it's not natural, <laughs> he just says something to me. Live on television, he, he gets something in his mind laying in bed and he just says something to me and I have to answer it straight away. But it, is, it makes me laugh. Yeah. He doesn't care. He's nuts yeah. to work with. I think that's he's, kind he's, of why we, yeah. we work well. Yeah, because he, he's very journalistic. He can write things down. Me, I can't do that. No, Colin, Colin, he, he does do his research. He absolutely. does his research. He's on the ball and it's, it's, it's much easier for me. To be honest with you, where, there, where it was once we started New Year's Day. It was the first show. That was about four years ago. So it was the first day of the darts was actually New Year's Day. So it was like, oh no. So we we went out the night with New Year's Eve out and all that stuff. But I said, Bobby, let's do this link where we look like we're waking up in you know in a room strewn with bottles and all sorts, and then we'll we'll make it look like we've walked straight in and started the show. 
He's like, great. And all he had to do, right, was sit up in this bed looking like he was drunk, you know, like we'd slept in the same bed that night and just... And all he had to do, because he says lovely jubbly, is come up with a bottle of champagne and go, lovely bubbly, right? Not asking much, is it? Right, but he could not do it because <laughs> it, it kept just automatically coming out, lovely jubbly, right? And this is a pre-record, so I can tell it. So if we did it the first time and he goes, lovely jabass. Okay, and then, uh, I'm not joking, Bobby, what was it, like 15 takes, right? Anyway. By the time it got to like the 12th, when you were getting it wrong, lovely job, off. Oh, and the outtake <laughs> reel is this furious cursing. It was taking my two hours to do that take. That was so funny. Now, listen, I... It's funny, isn't it? <laughs> you know, if I said it live, yeah. when I do it live, you don't, you don't do it wrong. Yeah, no, exactly. But, and he's laughing because he made me laugh. We were both in bed, right? Yeah. And I had the, they had the world Not trophy. for the first time, apparently, no, yeah. Uh, yeah. He had a trophy in between us and bottles of uh, bubbly and every, everywhere. Yeah. And it, it was comical. And when you get the giggles, you think this is... Oh, it's uh, funny. It's, we it's do have a good laugh. When you get we giggles. do get laugh. The fact that you enjoy each other's company is very clear from the from the presentation on the television. It makes the darts very enjoyable to watch. I've done with you now. Thank you very much. Okay, You've thank done you. great. Has he, two things. Yeah. Has he done his John Law impression? Yes, he has. That, right? Has he told you a story about when he died? Yes, he has. I would, it'd be criminal if I left and not mention this story with Bobby. So Bobby runs his own lakes, right? So I believe he's 148 years old. He still runs them. He, he's on his sit-on lawnmower out doing it and all that stuff. Three lakes. And so they've got little jetties, one-man jetties type things. You sit on them, you fish. So we went round to his uh, for a weekend at his house. And the deal was me and my wife, David Croft, the commentator, and his wife, and Bobby and Marie. And that was it, right? No kids, no anything, whatever. Crofty's the commentator, known from the Formula One on Sky as well. Mm-hmm. Crofty's babysitter cancels and he brings his two kids. Bobby, you don't like two things, right? Snow and kids. Yeah, because uh, snow goes away, but kids never do. Exactly. So we don't like those. And the two kids come round, right? And all the time, Bobby's telling this one of, one of Crofty's kids, don't run, you're going to fall over. Don't run, you're going to fall over. And I can see Bobby boiling up. So it's making me laugh, right? So I'm trying to hold the laughter. So we've been fishing for ages. and So I'm sitting in one jetty. So you got to imagine this. So I'm looking across this little little lake, and about in the, so I'm I'm looking across it, and the next jetty to my right is Bobby, the next jetty is Crofty, right? So you got to get that order right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I've caught like four fish, no problem. Bobby's caught like ten fish. Crofty's caught absolutely nothing, right? After I can hour now. So I see Bobby's so annoyed at this kid running, at this kid running. I see, like steam comes. Finally, like Crofty catches a fish, and he shouts to his son, "Son, I've caught a fish!" The kid comes running after Bobby. Don't run! Trips in the jetty straight into the lake, right? So, so I'm like, oh my god, the kid's falling in the lake. It's the worst thing. Ever. So anyway, Crofty's rod goes up in the air, and Crofty fishes his kid out of the lake. Bobby at this has not moved, right? He's motionless. I'm panicking. Crofty's kids in the lake, and Bobby just without moving, like he's st- you're still fishing. Your rod's still in the lake. Bobby just looks at me as his as his drenched kid is dragged down the lake. Bobby just looks at me and goes. We're joined now, Hung, actually, by somebody who has worked with him very closely over the last few years. Richard Ashdown um, is the Master of Ceremonies for the BDO, referee, MC, and all the rest of it. Joins us on the line now. Good evening, Richard. Good evening. Listen, thank you very much indeed for joining us. I mean, sometimes when you come across... Uh, I was sitting here for the last two hours with Bobby George. It's it's almost hard to uh, to uh, estimate the effect he's had on the game of darts over the past half century. But uh, you're you're now at the very forefront of the game. Tell us what you think Bobby has brought to the to the sport. Well, first and foremost, it's the charisma that he's brought to the game. That 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 was the first thing that stood out to me when I first saw him. 
Bobby's career, I'm sure you've already discussed it, mm-hmm. was across sort of two eras. He had an early stage where he was very competitive in the late 70s and early 80s. And then he chose the exhibition route. So by the time exactly. I got into it, because I'm, I'm a much, much younger, of course. Mm, uh, yeah. Not as good <laughs> looking, he says. <laughs> uh, as a teenager in the 90s, Bobby made a comeback to the World Championships. And that was the first time that I saw him on TV. So the immediate thing that stood out to me, of course, the sequined shirt, the walk-on, the cloak and the candles. And I was mesmerised by it. As a darts fan, he became my immediate favourite. Uh, and and it, it was he was through that I think Richard it's fair to say that he let let create the pathway as led to the way we cover darts now the crowd going mad the lights the razzmatazz that has made it such a popular sport on the TV I would say so I mean as host at the lakeside as I am today every single player gets a walk on with music the lights and the razzmatazz uh, the first time I saw Bobby it was a novel idea and he was the only one doing it. He came onto music. He came onto a big walk-on. Nobody else did. Do you think um, he, he's been uh, slightly reticent about this question? Do you think if he had concentrated on on the playing side of it rather than going off and doing the exhibitions and entertaining the troops and all the rest of it, which means he's had a richer life, do you think he would have been an, an even more highly rated darts player over the years? Well, Bobby may see it as an insult. I think it's a big compliment when people call him an underachiever. Yes, I do think that's the case. I think his talent level in the late 70s and early 80s would have seen him win more if he had have stuck with it. But I would never call it a wrong choice because he has the proofs in the pudding. He's made the right choice in the career move that he made in the 80s and he, and he became a household name by being a showman and it's and, worked for him. And there are, of course, I think it's fair to say that in the people who describe the game of darts... And it's a difficult game to describe because the same thing happens over and over and over again in many ways. There are two proper legends who use language, uh, Richard, to describe the game. One, of course, is the late Sid Waddell, and the other is Bobby George. <laughs> well, I think Bobby could bring out his own phrase book, that's for sure. <laughs> and is he fun to work with? Oh, absolutely brilliant. I mean, I started with Bobby, um, I think, 14 years ago now on the exhibition circuit. Bobby originally uh, brought me to the game because of my know-how with the numbers. Um in working with Bobby, you, you soon become very comfortable on the microphone and, and you become a showman in your own right because it rubs off, doesn't it? Well, Richard, it's great to hear from you and just get a flavour of what it's like uh, to work with Bobby George, but also um, to reinforce um, just what an influence he's had on the game of professional darts over the past years. Thanks very much. Yeah, thank, thank you, you, Richard. That's very nice of you. Thank but, you. Well, if it, yeah, well, if it, hadn't, if it for... hadn't been for you, Bobby, I wouldn't be where I am. So well, I, have to be I, was, nice, I, I was telling Daddy he earlier. That. I was telling Daddy early, uh, earlier. He, he met me in a pub exhibition. And um, little Richard, a little lad, 14 or 15, he said, I want to tell the cameras where to go on the television when they're playing darts. I said, oh, yeah. Do you like counting? He went, oh, yeah, I love counting, you know. So I give him a few shots, and he went, uh, I'll see what you mean. I said, well, I, I, I'll send you some different shots out, mm-hmm. which I did. Then I'm Richard. Yeah, that's little, right. Because not no emails then. And he used to write me letters back of, what about this shot? What about that? And then one day it was, I can't remember what, what year it was, but uh, it was a few years ago that... Um, the, the spot had never turned up, and I rang him up and I said, I called him, um, well, I can't say what I called him. Well, you called me BBC at the time, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, Bobby's best counter. The BBC, right. I called him. Anyway, <laughs> and I, I rang him up, and uh, he was in the audience, which he, I didn't know. And I said, meet me in the press room tomorrow. And I've said, look, you can do spotting. Can you do it? Don't let me down. He said, I can do it. I said, don't make me look a fool, because without the spot, you ain't got no programme. No. And he done it. 
and he went from strength to strength and he learned all the counting. He worked with me, learned how to talk. Daniel Richards, you've done it really good. He's a very, very talented young man. Well, yeah, and he's given us a very clear insight. I want to thank him for giving us an insight into what it's like working with you, but equally um, reinforcing um, just what an effect you've had on the game of professional darts. Thanks, Richard. My pleasure. Have a good evening. Bobby, we're running out of time, but I can't let you go without talking about your home. Um, you live in a, in, a, in a kind of massive house with 20-odd bedrooms, fishing lakes around it. Um, it's shaped in like a segment of a dartboard. Um, it, it's like South Fork or something. You built with yourself as well. Yeah, no, it's, it's like a flight of an arrow, three, right. three, you know, three sort of ends. To yes. It. Um, it's, we had 18 bedrooms, but we, we don't we do about 14 now because there's only three of us in it. Yeah. But it's all right when you have, um, you know, Christmas time. What was the idea? Why did you build this extravagance? I put the drawings in to the council and I made, it was a lot bigger than that. It was bigger than what I've got. Right. Thinking they're going to knock me and say, no, you can only have this size. And um, me and Marie, um, we went to the uh, the planning, when they have a planning, the meeting, they put it on the screen, so it was a bit over the top. Um, but it's very nice. We can't wait to see it being built, I thought. <laughs> now, what's the to that? <laughs> so then I had to wait six... I had to change the drawing, because you couldn't amend the drawing. You have to wait six weeks, Yeah. do another drawing and put it in, and then wait till they... Obviously, they passed it because it was smaller, but it's still uh, a rather large uh, house. What did you, what did you do? Did you because you say you were, you were on site? You built it through your own experience in the construction. So did you have to live in a van or something while you? No, did no it? I lived in a two. We had builders' port cabins, right? And um, had a wood burner. How lovely the wood burner was, and uh, we lived in there for two and a half years until I built the shell. I'd done the kitchen, finished the kitchen off, and I had a ladder to go upstairs to one of the bedrooms. Um, then I'd done a room at a time but, uh, with the lakes and it took me about six years all told with the digging the lakes and doing everything and it's a lot of work but I, I enjoyed it it's a, it's a bit over the top really when you get older because there's mm-hmm. a lot of work to do my wife's got to do all the cleaning she doesn't have no one help her um, I do but it's the grounds a, it's like a hotel well it is because things are you get people staying they break out or the kids come round it's all busy all the time that, of course, is where you've got the fishing lakes we heard about with Colin Murray a little earlier yeah. on in the house there. I want to move, because uh, we've got so little time, onto your family, uh, your second family. Um, your son, Richie, has, has uh, inherited some of your dark plain genes, yeah? Well, I think it's in your 501s, isn't it? It's in your genes. Um, it's it, Yeah, he's a good dark player, the boy. He's not dedicated enough. For when he was young, he was on the dartboard like he had a nappy on, believe it or not. And he watched every game. He watched all the dart players, all the different actions. He wanted to play and be a professional dart player and get onto the stage, which he did do. He put himself out. He said to me one, a couple of years ago, after I'm going to world rankings and go to the lakeside. I'll be right, away you go. And he did. He got to be in the semi-final. But he's not dedicated enough. He's got a job. He got. It's it's very difficult. Yeah. You know, you you got to you got to be out to travel all the time every weekend away and if you've got an important job it's very difficult to do that you still play in exhibitions uh, and in your when you got you do a mixture of playing and talking and all that sort of thing um your sons are good good enough to make semi-finals of the, of the world championship how often can you beat him these days um he beat me a lot of times now not all the time though when he gets a bit leery i'll get the ump <laughs> what gets me I, I come in i've been doing um you know, with the chainsaw doing the tree or yeah. doing the, the 
bit of concrete and You've doing been working. it. I've been working. I've come in. He's been on the dartboard two hours. He said, give us a game, Dad. And he's doing bash me up. Of course, he's been on the dartboard, isn't he? Yeah. So when he gets a bit there, I'll get on the dartboard for a half hour or so. Warm up. And let him come in and beat him up. So he said, I'll get me own back. You're 70 years of age. You look, you could pass for 55. You're a strong, physically imposing man. Um, where are you now in your life? And what do you hope for in, the, in, what, in what years, hopefully, another 25 remain to you? Well, that's nice of you say that. Mm. And I'll come back on your programme in 25 mm. years' time. I'll um, be gone. No, I, I yeah. think, no, I'll, there's what... I want to live a long while, if I can. You'd like to be a really old man, would you? Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, and I like my wife to live a long while. And I want to see my grandchildren grow up. You got two younger grandchildren. Yeah, yeah. You, you get a bond with them when you know uh, you've got more time when you're older for your grandchildren. Um, that's what I want to do: live a long while, be happy with me missus, and see my grandchildren grow up. And I know that you genuinely believe that by doing a bit of physical or mental work every day, it keeps you young. I think if you, if you, people to retire, they sit down, I've retired, oh, been working all their life, and they laze about, your organs stop, you're up early in the morning, you're buzzing, and then you retire, it's no good to you, you've got to be busy. So I make sure, I have a list every day, what I'm going to do. I do all different things, like yesterday I was fixing the lamppost because the, the, the wiring wasn't right. Um... Then I'll get get the wood in, um, uh, do, clean the um, the wood burners out, hmm. um, do the lawns, cut the trees down. So many different things to do. So I'm busy every day. Then I'm playing darts. Then I'm talking to guys like yourself, Danny. And I'm travelling. So I'm busy. Every day I'm buzzing. Every day to me is Christmas Day. You've been listening to an archive edition of Talk Sports My Sporting Life with Danny Kelly. Thanks for listening, and make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Acast, and Spotify for more top Talk Sport content. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.